Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey friends, I'm Andre and this is the Tennis and Bagels podcast. This episode should have been up a couple days ago, but due to a few technical problems, I had to delay it for a little bit. We also lost a bit of the audio at the beginning, so to cover it for you, Vansh just started us on the Player of the Year award for the ATP, which went to Novak Djokovic. So enjoy the episode, and we'll see you guys in 2021. Mm, I mean, it's 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 difficult to tell. Um, I think when you it was probably like a close run and at the end of the day like you see that he finished number one he uh did the double golden masters and uh reached the final of Roland Garros and you know all throughout the season he was pretty pretty good um he almost went undefeated and his first defeat kind of was a match that he didn't he didn't lose as per the score but he because of uh problems that he had which could have played a little bit against that in that sense but I feel like um, Dominic Thiem was the runner-up for me by not too much, especially because like when you consider it, well, he made the finals in the Australian Open, went two-one up on Djokovic, and then lost. But um, then comes back and win, wins uh, the twenty twenty U.S. Open after a crushing defeat in the uh, in the U.S. and Southern Open. So I think Team could have been the um, player of the year without being number one. Um, Maybe Nadal, I would say, but I don't think he was that convincing. Maybe if he had won the ATP, the, the ATP finals, I think he would have been more weighted in, in his case uh, for player of the year. But I think he would be a third place. But I feel like the, the, the race would have been really Djokovic and uh, team. But yeah, I feel like it, even though it was a close one, I think you'd have to give it to Djokovic, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Andre. I think, um, like Djokovic, team won a major and was runner-up at another major. But if you look at all levels of the tournaments, Djokovic won Dubai, that's a 500. He won Cincinnati and Rome, two 1,000s. So when you look at everything across the board in terms of tennis results, I don't think you can go with anyone except Djokovic. But that being said, I think in spite of Djokovic having a better year, team will be happier with his year, if that made any sense. I think Djokovic left more chances on the table, mm-hmm. uh, per, uh, especially at the U.S. Open, where he was the favorite to win and ended up getting defaulted in the fourth round. Whereas team, even though he lost a close one at the Australian Open, he was never the favorite to win that match. That was in Djokovic's backyard. That was... Um, that was like where Djokovic performs the best. So even though team team's loss was painful... He he was never really supposed to win that match per se, mm-hmm. and and he came away with a major as well. So I think going forward, Djokovic is going to feel like he left a lot more on the table than Team did, even though he had a better year. Yeah, honestly, I I 100% agree with that. 
and it's crazy because like if even if you look at um first half of 2020 like pre-covid and post-covid i feel like uh, not post-covid but like post um you know break lockdown of the season um I think Djokovic really, even though he won two Masters on a thousand, he definitely feel like he felt short. And after the, the 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 tour resumed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like he underachieved past that that point. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you you look at um, particularly his finish to the year. I think you know once he got the world number one ranking secure, I think in his mind, you know, in some in a couple matches, really, uh, he went four and four at the end of the mm-hmm. season. I guess all the way until the the finals of, really until the finals of Roland Garros, he was pretty much undefeated if you take out the U.S. Open default. I think he was something like 37-1. and one. And, you, you know, for the most part, if you take out the the Karina incident, I mean, he, he was really looking at, you know, maybe having one of the all-time, all-time best seasons. I mean, he was 21-0 and zero before the start of the, of the pandemic. And I do think he won Cincinnati, but I don't think he was at his absolute best there. Mm-hmm. Really, if you look at the last two matches, I mean, very, very easily could have lost to Bautista Agut in the semifinals there. And then a tough, you know, everything going on with the PTPA and everything uh, that was started there on the last day of Cincinnati. And then he has to go and play Milos Raonic, where he almost, you know, he was down a break in the third set there. And he lost the first set, you know, 6-1. So, you know, he showed again why he is Novak Djokovic, that he can win these matches um, even when he's not at his best, and he can—he—that's what he does uh, so well that he wins all the—he uh, wins in the key moment. He wins the key points in a match, and not necessarily uh, n- nothing really jumps out at you in terms of um, you know, you know, even when he's not at his best, he's still that good that he can win most of these matches. But if you look at the end of the year, you know, uh, you know that match against Medvedev—if that was maybe a Grand Slam match, or there was more on the line for him if he you know if he hadn't already secured the year-end number one you know he might have fought you know tooth and nail might have brought out that animal in him that we're so used to seeing and i just think uh in the atp finals that didn't quite happen uh you, you know even though i guess there were some some things that could have motivated him like you know equaling federer with the sixth uh sixth year-end masters he would have tied federer there and things like that but i think you know, he's looking at more of the bigger picture, which is the slams at this mm-hmm. point. I think he's achieved pretty much everything in the sport, um, you know, apart from the Olympic gold and then, you know, getting to 20. So I think, you know, th- those are the priorities really for, for Novak. But overall, I mean, he had the best year, 41-5 and five on the season. I mean, you know, won Dubai, won two Masters, like you said, won, uh, won the Australian Open Finals of the French. Um, you know, could, could have even been in the finals of the ATP finals. He had 4-0 uh, in the third set breaker over mm-hmm. team. And then I do think, so I think team is a really good pick, actually. The reason is team made it really close, um, second behind him. Because I think if you just look at the three majors, I think team had the best season. Because he was so close to winning the Australian Open. Two sets to one up there. Uh, you know, wins the US Open. Um, and then quarterfinals at the French, which is actually a pretty good result, if you think about it, uh, given that he didn't play any clay tournaments leading up to it. You know, French Open was just two weeks after, and he, I think he gave everything he, he possibly could uh, physically. And uh, and obviously, but I do think, you know, if team won the ATP finals, I think his case would be stronger, because mm-hmm. now you're looking at, you know, four of the biggest tournaments played this year, three Grand Slams and then the London Masters, which has all top eight players. I think if he wins that final, I think there's a strong case that, you know, maybe he's player of the year. I do think he was the second best player this year. I think there's no no question. I think he's, 
he was he's number two for me in 2020. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree to, with that. Uh, uh, according to 2020 points only, is he number two? I think yeah, is he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, according to so according to the 2020 points, it goes Djokovic, then team, uh, team second, uh, at 4,500 points roughly, and then and then you have Nadal and Medvedev very close mm. fourth, and then after that, you know, after that you start to see a drop off. So yeah, I think. So I think I, I think Djokovic, even though he was Player of the Year, um, after the layoff, I, I've heard a lot of people say this, but his his tennis wasn't quite the same. And for a yeah. while, I was wondering, you know, with with the Adriatic drama and the PTPA, how long was he going to be able to balance this undefeated season that he was able that he was trying to maintain, and also everything going on in his off court life? And and I'm. I have no idea how much it interfered with this tennis, but I think we did see him start to wobble. Um, like you said, Vonch, he, he was two points away from losing to Batista Agud in Cincinnati, and then he got breadsticked by Raonic in the final. Um, and then even in Rome, he beat Schwartzman in straight sets in the final, but he was down a double break in the first set of that match. And again, even though he, he ended up winning, no matter what form one or the other is in, uh, Schwartzman like, never goes up a double break on Djokovic. That's just not really something that happens. And then at the ATP finals, right. we did see him save four match points against team in the second set. So his um, his his play under pressure is still there, but I think his yeah. consistency really started to falter in the second half of the year. So I'm I'm curious to see how he'll play at the Australian Open. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see you know what adjustments he makes uh, you know going forward because of, of course if you look at Federer and Nadal, you know with age you do have to make certain. Uh, adjustments and add certain ingredients to your game you know we see him going to the drop mm-hmm. shot more we see him willing to serve and volley a little bit more but you know he's not a great servant volleyer if his movement is a little bit off like you know we see that you know maybe it's it's possible it's just natural maybe he's a half a step uh you know slower than he once was it's you know it, it just happens with age and i just think uh, he's gonna have to you know find not not necessarily find new ways but really incorporate you know much more in his you know, much more different ways in his because he's so good when he's on the run. You know, and if if his if that court coverage or that defense is a little little off by even half a step, I mean, it can it can make a difference uh, going forward against guys like Medvedev and Team who are who can who are you know willing now to stay with him. Mm-hmm. You know, physically mm-hmm. in best of five uh, in best of five sets, even. So I think it will be interesting to see mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that was that was player of the year. I think we still can agree that uh, Djokovic, world number one, um, I think uh, gets that award. But if we go to the next category, which is most improved, um, this is where it gets a little interesting because you have Andre Rublev who started the year out number twenty three and then finished uh, number eight. A great season for him, you know, forty one matches on the year. Uh, Tied Djokovic with number of matches uh, all season, won five titles, uh, three straight 500s. I think he made uh, leaps and bounds improvements um, in his game. I think his first serve got bigger. I think his his movement has improved. He's more explosive uh, than before. He's uh, you know just just much more confident and and, and match tough. And he's such a fighter out there. Um, and I think he's he's popular amongst his peers. But then you also have some other uh, well deserving candidates here like. Uh, like I guess Yannick Sinner, for me, really jumps out. Uh, his his rate of improvement is just scary good right now. And then you have a guy like Ugo Umber who quietly won two two titles and had some had some big wins, um, and is really starting to get into that top twenty tier now. So um, I I do think the higher up you go in the rankings, 
it is just harder to improve. It is really hard to go from 23 to 8 mm-hmm. um, just because of the amount of quality that there is uh, in the top 20 at the moment. So I do think uh, Rublev is the deserving winner here. Yeah. What do you guys think? I mean, um, I, I agree. I tend to agree with you in the sense that like when you... It, it's tough to see from rankings, uh, ranking points as well because... Uh, some of it kind of gets in a in a gray area between newcomer of the year depending on where they are at like for example yeah. if you pick uh, Yannick Sinner he could probably easily have been uh, maybe a newcomer of the year if he had uh, done other stuff too um Diego Schwartzman not so much because this has been around maybe Uga Amber as well could have been one of those um and it, it gets tough to to tell at that point but uh when you say most improved I think it really does make a difference when you pick uh, when you take Rublev from last year, uh, and he was outside of the top twenty, and now he's inside of the top ten. I think that definitely makes a huge difference. And uh, when you when you look at uh, the improvements that he has made, just in the sense that I think he's probably the best player um, outside of the top seven. For example, he would lose to everyone inside of that, that is ranked higher than he is. But he wouldn't lose easily to anybody who's ranked below him. So I feel like he definitely set himself like apart in that sense. And he's like, okay, now I'm here. My goal is those guys. Now he's he's not necessarily their rankings anymore. He's just really becoming at the same, getting at the same level as they are. Which, for example, if he were to jump from like number eight to number two next year, he would deservedly probably win this award again. I would say. So I don't know. Yeah, I I agree. I think he does deserve this award going a 15 spot jump in the rankings when you're already in the top 25 at the start of the year is absolutely massive. I think he won something like five tournaments. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And qualifying for the ACP finals is very impressive. Although I will say in terms of how much his ceiling as in his best level moved, I'm honestly not sure his moved the most. For example, uh, Yannick Sinner, I think, his performance at Roland Garros, I would say, like his loss, was more impressive. He went up against Nadal. He handed Nadal his toughest set of the entire tournament, first set of that match. He served for it at 6-5. I don't think he had a set point, but it was a deuce. And then it went into a tiebreak, and he was up a break in the second as well. Whereas Rublev, um, he, I think he served for the first against Tsitsipas, but then... Couldn't couldn't serve it out as well, and then ended up losing in straights. He also lost in straights to Zverev at the Australian Open, and he he won one match at the ATP Finals, maybe, or was he zero and three? Yeah, he 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 won one match. All oh, right, he he beat Team, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But yeah, he was kind of was a, a dead rubber. A dead but yeah, rubber. dead rubber. Yeah. yeah so um, yeah. so while his ranking did move a lot, and he won a lot of tournaments, I'm just not sure if. I think there is still a solid gap between him and the elite players above him. And I think I might, in terms of how things went this year, I might back center to close that gap eventually more than I would back Rublev, if that makes any sense. And I think... Yeah, um, I think that's totally fair. And I think a slept-on candidate for this, even though his ranking didn't move at all, his team, just because I think he, he won his first major, which is an improvement. And I think he's also getting ever closer to Nadal and Djokovic. And um, and I think yeah. improvement is much harder to come by when you're that high in the rankings. So I think even though like a change in the rankings wasn't uh, didn't like result from this, I I think it's improvement nonetheless. Um, he pushed Djokovic to five sets in the final of the Australian Open, 
which hadn't been done since Nadal uh, in 2012, that epic almost six-hour final. And um, again, won his first major, beat Nadal and Djokovic at the ATP finals. He's got a great record against the big three in the past few years. So while while he didn't break into the top two, I think he's like I think he's been improving a lot. Um, but overall, I think Rublev definitely deserved this. Hmm. Yeah, completely completely agree with all that. Looking forward to seeing how uh, how much further Rublev can go next year. I do think. Uh, you know, I think Andre said it well when he said that he's pretty much, you know, at that stage now where he's winning, he's able to win comfortably and win decisively against, you know, pretty much everyone not in the top mm-hmm. 10 anymore. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's what you want to see. That's the level you want to see players hit now where I think he's just, uh, you know, he's hungry and he's winning a lot of titles that I think are, are going to give him a boost. Now it's just about how can you, you know, when his game is a little bit off. You know, when the forehand goes away or when the second serve is, when he's not making first serves anymore or when uh, when he's being asked to, you know, generate on his own or generate pace on his own or come forward uh, on his own terms. I think that's going to be the next step is the transition game and uh, and, and coming forward and, you know, being more efficient, um, winning points more efficiently and coming forward and volleying at the net. I think if he can, if he can add those elements to his game, then I think he'll be he'll be an absolute force in the mm-hmm. next, even by next, even as early as by next next season because the foundation is so strong. Yeah. So I think I, I think it's good. Uh, it's it's exactly where he wants to be. I think, and so I think, um, yeah, I would I would go for Rublev here. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the next cut. Yeah. I think just uh, just maybe I'll ask points like Owen touched on Owen touched on a good point in there, like in terms of. Um, statistics and actual gameplay, like uh, just playing the, ten- the, the the game of tennis, and you, you definitely see uh, Sinner having a f- far more possibilities. Like when the ball t- touches his racket, and you see Rublev, um, and I think it's it's just trying to decide like who is the better improved, the player who uh, is playing tennis better, or the, or the or the player who is you know you know improving how he plays better in the sense that like for example Rublev is making less errors is getting less irritator but um Yannick Sinner is getting better as a talent player you know what I mean he's he's getting more shots he's he's improving his variety in this game and making things go well for him uh in in that regard and Rublev is just doing what he does but better (laughs) and it's just kind of where which one is better than the other so it's it was definitely it, it definitely becomes a much tougher call if you try to look at it in that way if you just look at statistics i feel like it definitely would make sense that rublev is the one but if you look at a more subjective uh from a more subjective pr- perspective that's definitely where the debate can you know last forever hence why we're still discussing gold debate <laughs> yeah yeah uh-huh. Yeah, I I, th- I think so. I think you could you could really go go in and you know completely make a solid case for Sinner really because because of the leaps and bounds that he's made and uh, you, you know that's why we have these categories. Yeah. But uh, if we go on to the next one, newcomer of the year, um, I think this is this one is a quite an interesting category. You have a guy like Al- uh, Carlos Alcaraz who's you know really made a name for himself at challenger level. You know, winning. He's won at least three titles before turning age 18, and that's joining an elite list of players like Gasquet and Djokovic and Del Potro, a guy like Felix, Sochi Aliasim. So these are, this is elite company, I guess. And then 
and he he's really he made headlines in February when he had a great run. I think it was in uh, in Rio, maybe where he beat uh, Ramos Vinolas, yeah. if I remember correctly, in a super long. And match. then he had some, yeah, a super long, hard fought three set match, and it was impressive because the guy is only sixteen years old, you know, yeah. and he already seems to be to have such good such a good game on the clay courts. It's just now whether he can transfer that uh, paralysis off and do well on some of the faster surfaces and on hard. Um, but I, you do have some other next gen guys in this in this category because it's it's weird because now you kind of see like, you know, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, team. He's a little older, but these guys are they're arrived. You know, they're no no longer really the next gen in my opinion. They're like the now gen. But you have guys that are, you know, even a generation younger than them that are born like in two thousands between like sort of 2000 to 2003 and that's your you know Sebastian Corda, Musetti, Emil Rusevori, you know Sabath Wild like those those type of players were all nominated in this category mm-hmm. but I think Alcaraz's uh Al- Al- Alcaraz's game on clay is really is really something that's you know impressive and it's sustainable and it feels like he knows uh he he understands clay court tennis really well and you know there's some there's some great players in there too like Musetti who made who did really well in Rome. I think he beat like Vavrinka and Nishikori and his one-handed backhand is amazing and he's got great variety on it and he can, he moves really well on the clay. So I think it's just going to be a matter of uh, seeing how, how much these guys can translate their games to across all surfaces. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I think it's really hard to go against Alcaraz for this one because um, the ATP website is saying he jumped 350 spots in the rankings in 2020, which is pretty staggering. And he also he won three challenger titles, including back to back titles. Um, he I saw part of his match with Ramos Vinolas, and I remember Ramos Vinolas was getting pretty frustrated. And he's a veteran, so it's not if he's reacting like that against someone who was sixteen at the time. He's seventeen now. Like this kid has serious game. And my my second favorite for this would be Musetti because his win against Favrenka was really impressive. I think. I think it was a three-setter that ended right. up being pretty close. And Vavrinka has won multiple major titles, so that's that's a very impressive win, uh, more so than Alcaraz is over Ramos Vignolas. So I think we should definitely look for those two to make further jumps in the rankings. I think Korda made the fourth round at Roland Garros. It was it was a somewhat quiet run, if I remember right, and, um, and Nadal dismissed him without much fuss. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Alcaraz thoroughly deserves this one. Yeah, same yeah. same for me. Like, I mean, it's interesting to um, open up this category not to just ATP level, but like going back into the challenger as well because the rankings are the same uh, in that in that sense. Like, I think I think it makes sense. Uh, it's just that the the tour name is different. And if you look at his stats in the challengers, where again I'm open here is like his his won twenty out of twenty four matches that he's played on the challenger tour this year. He won three out of four finals, and he uh, a very interesting stat is that he's nine for nine and zero in tiebreakers. So I feel like it, it really speaks of uh, his uh, mental strength as well, like to just go out and you know yeah, that's an impressive stat. Beat a lot of those players. So that's one of the things that you could probably say that you could probably put him in the uh, most improved of the year, but probably because he doesn't have much of a history, it just makes more sense to get him in the newcomer of the year and very much deserved like he i feel like i feel like this is definitely the the player who deserves his best i think musetti is a, was a great um nomination but i think overall uh results uh, outside of the Vavrinka win i'm not sure how much uh musetti has uh, accomplished um 
in comparison yeah. to Alcaraz. So I think Alcaraz is would be my pick as well. Yeah, yeah. And you you mentioned the three hundred fifty spots. I mean, he's now at one hundred and forty one mm-hmm. in the world. This is where this is kind of like the tipping point where players decide like, do you want to make the effort and and go to Melbourne and qualify yeah. for, uh, or I mean, I guess it won't be held in Melbourne now. I think it'll be held in uh, Dubai, if I'm not mistaken, or Abu Dhabi. Uh, the qualifying, but basically, uh, you know, do you go there or do you go and play more challengers on the clay? Mm. So I think, uh, uh, I think that's where you want to be is because, uh, you know, the goal of the challengers is not to have a 10 year challenger career, you know, it's more as a stepping stone to get to the ATP level where you really, where you start to rack up some ATP points and ATP wins. Mm. So I think, uh, I think that'll be the next step of the season. I think he can climb to the top hundred. Yeah, and I think Vonchi sure. can't really go wrong with that decision. Based on how fast he's been rising, he'll be high enough in the rankings to qualify for the main draw of Grand Slams without having to qualify, uh, go through qualifying pretty soon, I think. Um, but if he wants I to, so. so I think I think he has the game to get through qualifying if he plays well. For sure. And yeah. and also, Andre, I wasn't aware of that tiebreak set, which is really impressive because something you see pretty consistently with young players is the intensity of close matches is... Uh, close matches that really matter more than matches they've played before because it's at a higher level uh, kind of gets to and like shocks these players a little bit just because they don't have experience with it. I think like Nadal, one of the very first matches he played on tour, he blew like some massive number of match points or something. And so I think the fact that Alcaraz is winning tie breaks with that kind of consistency bodes very well for the future when he plays more close matches uh, because like as we have seen, um, we saw in the Wimbledon final last year, uh, tie breaks can flip a match. So For sure. that, that's a very, very good thing to have under his belt. Yeah, uh, you spoke about yes. Nadal, and uh, I, I remember um, I posted not too long ago like a match that I just found randomly on YouTube of a, a challenger that Nadal played, and uh, he was in the final. He was 16 years old as well, and he blew like. He was serving for the match and he got broken to love or something like this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it was really interesting to see Nadal struggling to close a match because it's like, man, he he one hundred percent choked that one. He's not the the other guy was like really really strong mentally to come through still and win the match at the end. But Nadal choked really hard at the at that game, the last game. So it was it's it was really interesting to see that um, the 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 career path that those guys can follow like just by you know checking those um stats right now and seeing if they can translate from the challenger tour into the atp tour and like you know because there's definitely going to be a a different level of difficulty and guys are a little bit more hardened than the guys from the challenger tour and akras may have to you know kind of a little bit like the transition from juniors to pro but Mm -hmm. you know but i feel like challengers to um atp tour it's a little bit less rough a transition but um i think akaraz can could really be winning his first title sometime soon as well on the atp level yeah yeah i agree i think i would not call it next year still but you know maybe yeah like probably within the next couple years like um based on what you said like we look at nadal as one of the mentally toughest guys on tour but it seems like mental strength is kind of something that players develop, not something that they're born with. And so to see that... Yeah, and I think I do think there's some, you know, you can't always go by the stats here because I do think uh, it's also your ingrained, uh, you know, value system that, you know, you know you're taught as a junior, mm-hmm. which I think that's one area where Nadal has really inspired so many young, young players is, you know, how do you... 
I mean, yes, he has that intensity and he fights, he fights for every point. But at some point, I think he's accepted losing, and I think he's he's okay that as long as I put in everything, as long as I I fight for every point, like you know, I'm gonna feed my family, yeah. and and I and I have that I do, as long as I do that, then I can be content. You know, whether if, whether I win or whether I lose, and I think having that mindset. Is is what helped Nadal so much throughout his career because you're right. I mean, earlier in his career, he lost that match, you know, with so many match points. But how many times now he's made a career out of basically, you know, winning, you know, winning matches that sometimes he had no right of no right to win, yeah. you know. So yeah, and and I think Alcaraz is going to have to learn how to bear the hurt of losing really close matches. That's something that's sure. going to come with time. But um, what yeah. to connect it to the Nadal thing? I think the fact that he's nine and zero in tie breaks, like. That, like you said, Andre, that speaks to some of the mental strength he has already. So I think if this this is how strong his foundation is, then his ceiling will be very, very high in terms of mentality. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, the next category is the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award. And I think it just rightfully went to uh, Francis Tiafo, who during the pandemic, um, you know, set up, a, set up like auctioned off signed memorabilia to athletes for COVID-19 relief and he posted it as this racket down hands up video that uh, really united the tennis community and this was after the death of George Floyd and, and that went viral. it had cameos yeah, yeah it, had, it went viral and it had cam- cameos from you know current and retired male and female tennis players with Serena Williams Osaka Blake you know Monfils Felix Orgelia seeing players like that so I think that was a really nice gesture from Tiafo and I think the USD immediately got behind it and you know, just just really great to see a young player having that, having that awareness and speaking out on uh, social injustice like that. So I think, um, kudos to Tiafo for that. Yeah. yeah, that was the the one award I was upset not to have seen in the WTA page because I think it would yeah. have been so great. Um, and it, it's really strong too, like in terms of like um, impacting your society not necessarily just as an athlete but you could as a as a as an organ as an organization you could probably uh strengthen your the people who are your stakeholders and in, in, in this case the players is giving them this sort of award would have been really great and i would be in total doubt between uh, naomi osaka and uh coco goff for this one if that were one in the wta but yeah, for the exact same reason that Tiafo deserved this one, I would say, yeah. But yeah, there's no question about it for me, honestly. No discussion. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. It would have been great to see Osaka and Goff maybe get like a joint award for their activism this past year. And like you said, Vonch, it's really great to see um, such a young player like Tiafo uh, taking such initiative to um, like make this video to support the Black Lives Matter movement and um, yeah. donating... Um, to the Center for Disaster um, Philanthropy. Yeah, COVID-19. Yeah, yeah th- th- this is just yeah. really, really impressive from anyone. And the fact that it's coming from a player on the younger side, I think makes it all the more impressive. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. Yeah, kudos to Tiafo for doing that. Um, and the other thing I was going to just add is that, you know, it just drives me nuts when you hear people say that, uh, you know, you should stick to sports athletes six to six to sports yeah. and they shouldn't spread awareness about social causes and you know dwell into anything outside of hitting tennis balls like they were born to do i mean it's just like completely false yeah. like you know your upbringing and your socioeconomic status your you know what you value what you come from is such an integral part of 
these players' personality and their identity. You know, by asking them to stay quiet, you're taking that you're completely taking that away from them and you're you're completely silencing their inner voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's totally not uh not the right take to have on it. Yeah. Like, uh, this athletes, is just a go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um athletes have fans and so and they've um and these fans like idolize the athletes. So I think if anything, there's more of a responsibility on them to speak up because they have a platform. And when when they right. talk, people are going to listen. So, like the the good things they say and the activism that they perform is going to have more of an impact. So, I think I completely agree with you, Bunch. Telling yeah. athletes to stick to sports is um, as backwards as it gets. I think it's pretty yeah. ridiculous, honestly. Like to to say that it, it's well, how how does that make any sense? For for one, you, you would be saying that to everybody. Like for example. For an engineer, just stick to mechanical engineers. Stick to making planes. Don't talk about politics or anything. Am I? I'm not just a unit, like a one-dimensional person. I have thoughts on other things too. You know, I'm in communications yeah. major in marketing, but I I love science. I could talk about science too. You know, as much as I can talk about politics and things like that. I can talk about pretty much any topic that I'm interested in. I don't have to, you know, have a degree in political science to be talking about politics. Sure helps exactly. <laughs> and sure makes you humble yourself uh, to other opinions of people who are more of a level of expert than you are. But doesn't mean that I cannot talk about it and have an opinion or have a questioning, you know. And the other thing is just you, the the opposite also happens. So it doesn't make any sense to be talking about stick, stick to tennis because how many people didn't um, comment on Federer and Nadal's uh, statements of, uh, well, statements, the, when they posted the, the little black square on their Twitter, it's kind of like, yeah. make a, make a, make a statement for yourself. It's like from yeah. the one end, people telling you to just stick to tennis and shut up from the other one, people telling you to tell, speak up, you know, so you can't win. So major yeah. kudos to them to just making up their minds and being like, I'm not just going to play the quiet card and I'm just going to actually use my voice for something that I believe in. And I totally think that this I is really want to see, I really want to see more players speak up and, you know, say what they truly feel and not feel like they have to, they have to have pressure from sponsors and media to say what the right thing is, because I think that's the way we grow our sport. That's the, that's the way we, you know, tennis, tennis has the power to impact you know, impact people outside of the sport. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way to grow the game is to, you know, is to have these athletes, you know, like you said, you know, portray their true personality, which is more than just tennis. So I think, uh, I think there's a real power to that, uh, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree. Tennis is a community and like with all communities, I think there shouldn't be a pressure to be silent. There should be a pressure to speak up, particularly when, there's racism or um, other kinds of injustice going on in the world. So I think it, it, yeah, it's, it's just, really great to see when people like uh, Tiafo, Coco Goff, Naomi Osaka are speaking up. And it's it's really irritating when people say stick to sports and don't talk about politics yeah. or activism. Yeah, I mean, these guys are all humans, just like yeah. us. So, yeah, I mean, uh, moving on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> This one is going to be this one's going to be fun. The fan favorite award, nice. aka yeah. Roger Federer award. I mean, this is what the 18th year in a row that he's won it. I mean, look, I mean, he has such a strong fan base. Really, really, uh, this is this is always voted by the fans, and I think you know it's just a fact. He has more fans than any other player, and he's he's won this award despite only playing six matches on the year. Mm-hmm. And it it just seems like I mean, when was this award first introduced? I want to say 2001. 2001, 2000, 2000 to 2002, it was won by Gustavo Quirton and Murad Safin won it twice. Yeah. 
And ever since then, 2003 to 2020, it's been won by Roger Federer 18 years in a so row. So he's won it about 90% I mean, of the time. That's that's pretty insane. Exactly. I, thought, I saw a pretty, yeah. pretty funny post on Facebook in a Facebook group that was people are saying, people are saying um, this is the stat that defines the GOAT, but you guys are not ready to talk about it. And I, was, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was hilarious. But honestly, right, yeah. like Roger Federer regardless of whether he's like the whatever the best tennis players of all time like whatever yeah, uh, even I though mean, this that's... is kind of ridiculous as a debate uh right now like just being serious uh it's it's fun to talk about it but being serious is this never released nowhere but there's definitely a case for federer to being the most influential tennis player of all time oh yeah at least 100%. on the male side so i think this is this is quite speaking you know the truth here in the sense that it's a it's a pretty good piece of evidence that this is this could be true for having so many sure. fans and there's not a single well not a single but the vast majority of people that I, watch tennis they will agree that um or they yeah, will I, feel I mean, that Federer no... is like watching magic in front of your eyes yeah. because he just plays so beautifully you know it, it yeah. attracts a lot of exactly. people to tennis even if he's not like winning um those matches like Wimbledon 2019 or he has a losing record against Rafa Nadal it doesn't matter his tennis is too pretty to watch and it's amazing <laughs> Yeah, I think um yeah, so I I, I won't ahead. say Federer is undeserving of this award because he he showed some pretty amazing things in the six matches that he played. Uh two great comebacks against uh Millman and Sandgren. He um he had Djokovic looking pretty helpless for about half an hour on Rod Laver Arena. And while he only played six matches this year, some of the years he's had in the past have been worth like multiple years of accomplishments. Um and I'll borrow something Pete Sampras said after the 2009 Wimbledon final. I think he said he's he's the guy's always been a legend, but now he's an icon. Like you said, Andre, he's so influential. But at the same time, I feel like given that he only played six matches this year, like yes, he's the most popular player, but it it feels almost like a disservice to a lot of the players who yeah. played like many more matches throughout the year. So I won't again. I won't say he's undeserving, but it it would have been nice to see this go to a player who maybe like had a bit more of a development arc throughout the season or played more matches or accomplished a little bit more. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. And I also think that because this is voted by the fans, uh, I, I just think, you know, it, it it just might never change just because just because of the fans he's accumulated. Like nobody is saying nobody is saying, uh, oh, Federer's not for me anymore, you know. I'm like he's not he's only accumulating more and more fans. I think it's the longevity also uh, of his career that I think, you know, just the more the more people are realizing that you know this may be my na- my my last time, and there, this might be the last time I might ever get to see Federer play. Mm. You know, and I I do definitely think that's a small part of the small part of the reason as well. I think if it was actually voted by some players, I don't you know I think still think he would win it most years, but you know maybe not to the ex- not to this ridiculous crazy extent of eighteen years in a row where he only played uh, six matches this year. Yeah. But but nonetheless, he is the most popular tennis player. And I and I think that's just backed by the numbers. Yeah. I mean, in in that regard, you it if it weren't vo- voted by the players, it wouldn't be the fan favorite award. It would be the player yeah, favorite I mean, award, which is probably the which I guess is the sportsmanship. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, n- which is not sure if this is jumping the gun a bit, but Nadal won the sportsmanship award for the second or third yeah, year in a row. Spoiler. I think. And, um, <laughs> And, like, again, it's kind of the same thing. I feel like, yeah, like, he's not undeserving of it, but I don't really know what we saw from him this year sportsmanship-wise that we haven't seen from him before. Yeah. So I, I would have preferred to see that go to a uh, team or Schwartzman, probably Schwartzman. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. Um, Schwartzman, yeah. Actually, you know, 
now that you mentioned sportsmanship award i mean that that's also been a federal nadal award yeah, basically true you go back to, through the years it's like 2004 to 2009 roger federer 2010 nadal Oh, 2011 to 2017, we're back to Federer. And then now three years in a row, we have Nadal. I mean, that's like, you know, 17 years, 13 years, Federer, four years Nadal in a row. Yeah, you you almost wonder whether there should be a limit on how many times you can win it or whether they should have (laughs) to give it to someone new every year. Just because like, yes, like these are two very, very sporting athletes, but I almost feel like it defeats the purpose of an award to give it to the same one player or two player for like 20 years. Yeah, and I, and I do think, um, you know, maybe like he, he the one thing that I do think that I do admire that he showed this year is this sense of awareness about the pandemic that I think was, you know, it was just so great to hear him. And I, and I do think it's it's genuinely how he feels, you know, that, you know, after after winning the French Open, doing it in the, in the way that he did, you know, tying this is a guy who tied Federer's Grand Slam record. You know, it's all it almost feels like because of everything else that's been going on. You know that maybe didn't actually quite get the accolades that it that that I thought it might. Mm-hmm. You know, just because of everything else that was going on at the time and French Open being playing in October and you know suddenly the finals indoors. You know everything going on and how one sided it was. That you, you know he actually took that he actually had that perspective to take a step back and 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 say, look, there's so many that I'm privileged. I'm in a privileged position to be playing tennis right now. So, uh, you know, I'm very happy about my personal achievements and I've worked my whole life for them. But I also need to keep in mind that there's so many people who are, you know, being affected in the world right mm-hmm. now. And, and I, th- I just think he had that great perspective and he didn't he didn't go crazy in a celebration. And he, I, I just think, you know, that's, you know, this is a guy who is, I, I, I remember back in 2018 when there was the Mallorca uh, there was floods going on in his hometown. I mean, he was literally sweeping and, you know, he, he was literally sweeping and helping the frontline workers and doing these things that you just, you just, by looking at him and talking to him or hearing him speak, you would just never know that he is. And you, if you didn't know who he was, like you would just never be able to tell. Yeah. And I think that's such a, that's such a great quality to have. But, uh, so, so that was impressive for me. And then also the, also the fact that he's always, you know, very conscious. Every anytime he posts something or anytime he he says something, I think he's aware of the ramifications that they have. And you know, I've never seen him not wear a mask in any social media post, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think he's taking COVID pretty seriously. But you know, you're definitely right. I, I would have loved to see Schwartzman win this award or like a John Millman. You know, some of the players who aren't recognized uh, as often. Even a Dominic Team is a is a good person for mm-hmm. this category. I feel. Yeah, I, I think it's. Um... It's something that I, I feel like I, it's not that I 100% agree with, but I I like the idea of like having to make a different one like every year, um, because you know if if for example Nadal wins this award, it, he's being a sports like sportsmanship is not something that you you lose. In, you know what I mean? It's kind of yeah part of your character. So he's not gonna change from yeah. a year to another based on that one. You know. So I feel like it would be interesting yeah. to like be presenting other players as well with this. Like, you know, if you're nominated once, you'd have to wait like another, whatever, five years to be nominated again or something yeah. like this. Cause, but, but then again, at the same time, because it's part of your character, it kind of would feel weird, for example, after this year, after all the stuff that Nadal has done, um, uh, 
you would you would imagine um for example a lot of guys going on the table like to vote for for their one that they think should win and to be like man i should could vote for nadal yeah. look at what he did you know we, we should yeah. say this is voted by his colleagues yeah. this is voted by you know players who have known him for pretty much yeah. 15 years mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's about it's also about what he does on and off the court yeah. it's like like you said it's kind of integrity and Yeah, you know, it's it's based on yeah. it's based on that. And then again, it it could easily have gone have been have gone to uh, Francis Tiafoe as well, like for mm-hmm. sportsmanship, for achievements outside of the court. Uh, I'm not sure if there is a rule yeah. by uh, you can only be nominated to one award or something like I this. So. But I, whatever, I could feel like it could have been something along those lines as well, because you you could have voted someone else too. But I'm not saying that Nadal shouldn't is isn't deserving of this. I feel <laughs> like if you win it once, you you probably You are you're deserving of winning it forever, pretty much, unless you have a yeah. completely um, turnaround in your life and you completely change as a person. I don't think this is very very common. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, Andre, I agree with you. I think while Nadal, I'm definitely not saying that Nadal doesn't deserve a claim for the new sportsmanship like things he does every year, but I I just don't think it's really necessary for him to receive the same award again and again in recognition of it. Um, although I, I do agree with you, Vonch, it was really refreshing to see him always wearing a mask, especially when so many players on the ATP seems to either not be aware of the pandemic or not be aware of how COVID-19 worked. So, um, that, that was something that was really nice to see from Nadal, but yeah, Andre, I would totally support something that said like, you can only win it like once every five years or something, mm-hmm. because I think variety yeah. with this sort of thing is important. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, also, yeah, I think um, pretty much these were the categories. Really, there was also Coach of the Year, which uh, Fernando Vicente won, which was Rublev's coach, um, and he helped. And, the, you know, there was quite a short list here. There was Jill Savara, coach of Medvedev, uh, Juan Ignacio Cella, I believe, who coaches Schwartzman, and then Nicholas Massou and Ricardo Piatti from the Italian Tennis Center, uh, coach of Yannick Sinner. So I believe these are all great uh, categories, but I think it just went to the most improved. <laughs> this is voted by the other. This is voted by all the ATP coaches as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of tough to argue with that when it's their own peers voting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's probably even more obscure for us to to, to tell because how like, much of yeah, a how much like of an influence does a much... coach have? Like some some sometimes yeah. it's really easy to see, but some it's 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 tough to tell like uh, from from a coach perspective. So. I think if we had like a, a coach, like somebody who has coached people with us today, it would probably be much more eye-opening to for this category. But I feel like, I don't know, I don't have much to say for the most improved player of the year. I guess yeah. it just makes sense that the coach would get this award. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it's logical. So, Sorry. but yeah, like props to yeah. him, I guess. <laughs> Kudos to him for winning coach of the year, I guess. If the coaches vote on that, then... That's you can't get more expert than that. So, yeah, yeah. There's one, two more categories I wanted to finish on. Uh, one of them is a category that I just decided to invent <laughs> two seconds ago, which is who's your most uh, disappointing player of the year. Mm. Ugh, tough I feel one. like there's some there's some players, and I, and I know you know, arguably we shouldn't be that harsh for this one because I feel like you know time off and different circumstances covid i mean it's just so it was just so hard to be playing tennis at this time it was just it's it's crazy hard to go from bubble to bubble and city to city and all the protocols you know testing and yeah. uh limitations with who you can bring entourages you know 
traveling traveling the world essentially you're taking that risk so i i feel like you know with a grain of salt like mm. who do you feel like didn't really progress as much as you you maybe hoped uh for me i'll, I'll say stan Wawrinka. i think he ended 2019 pretty mm. well uh, Djokovic was injured at the yeah. U.S. Open, but he does deserve credit for beating him. Made the quarter, quarterfinals, I think. Lost to Medvedev. And then at the Australian Open, he beat Medvedev in the fourth round, which was encouraging. And right. then went up uh, 6-1 against Zverev in the quarterfinals. And then after that, I think he might have gotten injured halfway through the match, but he lost without much resistance after that. That was disappointing. Yeah, I think there was a, and then, a knee injury that affected yeah. him. Um, and then the French yeah. Open, he didn't play the U.S. Open. He... I think he got bageled by Gast- Hugo Gaston yeah, in the fifth, right? And and that was really shocking. Like, especially Favrinka uh-huh. really tends to try to peak at the majors, and he's done a pretty good job of that throughout his career. But I think he left some opportunities out there. Um, I think so. Like, a potential Favrinka team match. Um, that, that was that was getting a lot of attention during Roland Garros, and seeing the team eventually lost to Schwartzman, I think Favrinka would have had a chance to win that. Um so I was um, I was kind of disappointed with how he performed at the majors. Yeah, that's that's a really good that's a that's a pretty decent shot. I think he's at around twenty in the world right yeah. now, and I think you know there might be some room to there might be some, I I do think he can stay at stay at top twenty level for another year or so. I you know I think it's going to be tougher and tougher as he gets older. Obviously, you know two knee surgeries it's it's not quite easy. I think the ball striking is still there and the capability is still there on any given day he showed that in 2019 but i think uh, replicating that over and over again he doesn't quite seem to have that explosivity uh, or when he comes against when he comes against a player like gaston who was drop shotting him to death or was you know mixing in a lot of variety it just becomes harder and harder i think to rebound from from tough matches um, you know when you get older and maybe he's lost half a step too mm-hmm. You know, being thirty five, thirty six next year. So, uh, but but certainly all the all, all the ingredients are still there. He's still a three time Grand Slam champion, so I would never quite, uh, you know, rule him out. Mm. I guess. But that's a good. That's a pretty good pick, I think. The one I would go with is actually Karen Hatchinoff. Mm. I feel like he's, you know, ever since he won Paris in twenty eighteen, and he did make a, a Slam quarterfinal in twenty nineteen. I think of the French. Uh, you know, that major he's been quite consistent in. But, uh, you know, really, I don't see him taking... I don't feel like he's improved in the last two years. I feel like, if anything, like he hasn't shown me anything new, you know, in the last two years. And he's kind of just stagnated at the 15 to 25 range in the rankings and just doesn't seem to, you know, take that next step, come forward more, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, have that, uh, what do you say, IQ in those big moments to 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 uh to step up maybe try something different or you know you know come in behind his serve which is huge and you know put more pressure on his opponents and really take it to them and i haven't seen him show that animal spirit and fighting spirit and i've just i've just kind of seen him you know kind of content at that range and i think if he can you know i'm not quite sure what he needs really to get to that next level and maybe the forehand um because it's such a long take back and long stroke, I think sometimes he can get rushed on that side and then he gets kind of neutralized. Yeah. I had him on, on uh, my list as well. I would have said him, but I think of all the people of all the players who were disappointing me, um, 
I, I was thinking first maybe Shapovalov, but be, but he did pretty well this year. He has like some ups and yeah. downs. He's, he's, I think he's improved. Yeah, he's improved yeah. a lot. Like looking back, even though his the end of the season wasn't absolutely great from the last like couple of tournaments, but he he mm-hmm. did pretty pretty well in the U.S. Open, and it, so. he fought really hard. So definitely can see lots of improvement. Um, maybe because I'm Canadian, I have I'm a little bit more uh, critic like. Um, I, I tend to draw a little bit more criticism towards him, but honestly, he he had such a great year. Um, so I think I would actually say Stefanos Tsitsipas is the one that has been disappointing me the most. Interesting. I think while he's improving, he's improving very slowly. I feel like he could have been doing a little bit more by now. He's sitting at number six in the world, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like he's playing like a more like a top fifteen instead of a top ten, almost top five player. So. I think he has definitely to improve a couple of his of his shots, and uh, I saw a really good thread on your um, on the article that you made. Um, well, you didn't write it, but like you 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 embedded it from um, Matt Willis, I think, from right. uh, the the slice with the open stance. So, yeah, I think that's that definitely an area of improvement for Sitsipas yeah. is that backhand dexterity is what I think I called it in the exactly. Article. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you haven't checked out my article, uh, check that out at CrackRackets.com. Yeah. Uh, and so, but anyways, um, I think so. Yeah, I feel for like Sitsipas, for Sitsipas, yeah, it, it's yeah. definitely that. Like there, there is there is a mental block. I feel like he still hasn't really been able to to you know fight through the loss to to Borna Chorich in the U.S. Open was just a mess. Like he he should have won that match a thousand times and he lost it at the end. Props to Borna Chorich by the way for fighting a lot, but Tsitsipas at his level should have won that match, and I believe that. He yeah. he disappointed me in that in that Grand Slam. I was really no, looking I, forward to seeing him like advancing a little bit further. So yeah, yeah, I do think that's completely fair. Although I will say, I don't. I'm not sure if I completely agree with you mm. for Sitsipas because I feel like uh, he did choke in that match. He really messed up. You know, six match points. He never should have lost. Especially you go and see, you know, how the U.S. Open turned out and how tight those two players were in the final. That was an opportunity missed, no doubt about yeah. it. But I think the way he recovered from that, that was impressive to me. That he was able to switch surfaces so quickly. He had a leg injury as well. I think I think that hasn't been mentioned enough, actually. The injury, I think, you know, hurt him a little bit. And he had the he had that loss to Rublev in the Hamburg final, but he was still playing positive tennis great and he was he, he seemed to he, he seemed to show me a lot in terms of maturity and toughness and he got all the way to a fifth set against Djokovic in the in the French Open semis. He was down two sets to love mm-hmm. early. I mean, who knows how that match turns out if he's if he's not injured in that fifth set. He has all the momentum coming back against Djokovic, two sets to love down. I think Djokovic even served for the match and had a match point on his own yeah. serve. It's so yeah. rare that you see a player still believe uh, at that stage in that in that match. So I think those two tournaments for me really salvaged the season. I think if that if he hadn't had those two tournaments. I'd be speaking really differently about Tsitsipas. Mm. But I just feel like, you know, he uh, he was very candid also in London about... Um, and he didn't play very badly in London either, by the way. I think he played he, he played very competitively against team, uh, against Nadal. It was quite close for a while. Um, and he it could have gotten ugly against Rublev had he lost that one. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think he showed me enough that I feel like, you know, maybe next year I think he can... I think he can make some bigger strides. I do think he left something on the table, especially with that U.S. Open. I think Australian Open, he definitely needs to return better. He's got to improve mm-hmm. the backhand. Uh, the backhand slice is a glaring weakness for me. And uh, 
the backhand return, especially on the ad side. I think when lefties can go out wide, uh, he, he they're just comfortable winning. They just know that he's going to miss the return. Mm. And I think, uh, but I think he has so much upside. I think his all court game is so good. I think his serve is so good. His forehand is elite. Like I, I think it's a top five forehand, yeah. really on the tour. And I think he's got good hands. He's he volleys well. So I think, I think there's, I think there's some quite good hope actually. I, I do think the pandemic, also given his personality, the way he, the way he is, you know, on and off the court, he has so many interests. It's going to be interesting to see how he. How he manages and copes with it, and I do think he improved at least uh, in the majors at, at the French Open. That would have been, you know, if he lost early at the French Open, I think that would have been very worrying. Uh, yeah. Looking back at it, I mean, the, the only reason why I, I would say I didn't pick Ashenov is because he's been disappointing me for a couple of a number of years <laughs> yeah, now. That's true. So I that's would have said like a, for this year in particular. But I, I do agree with you. Like maybe that the pandemic, we can be incredibly harsh with players. Um, and yeah. coming from from all we see, that's what I would expect from him. But obviously, from his personal side, if that didn't work out for him for whatever reason, that's that's fine. It's on him. It's on. It's his own personal life. Uh, his, his his he's a person who's working, who's trying his best to to do his job. And uh, you know, sometimes yeah. we have other reasons outside of the court. It's not it's not only because you know this yeah, or that. I, I you know? do wonder for so, yeah. Steph if he can. You know, maybe bring somebody else in, but I, I'm not just not sure if, you know, maybe his dad is would allow that to happen. But I, I'd be interested to see if he brought in some mm. super coach or somebody else, some new voice to his team. But I, I think I think it's positive. I think he's developing actually really nicely. If oh, you look at yeah. team, you know, four or five years ago when he was 22, 23, I think Sitsipas is even better yeah. than than team was four or five years ago. And so it, I think at 22, he's still pretty young. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of time. I would love if uh, Stefan Edberg were, were his coach. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of how you gel. It's so hard to predict these coaching relationships. I did also wonder when, funny enough, when uh, Stan Wawrinka parted ways with Magnus Norman. Yep. I really actually thought, wow, Magnus Norman is on the table. Maybe Stefanos can take him. Yeah. <laughs> just because of the, just because one-handed, you know, I, I remember like, I remember he really pushed Wawrinka to that next level. Yeah. Wawrinka may not have won the slams that he did without Magnus Norman. And same with like Soderling. Soderling's two French Open finals that he reached. I mean, he was with Magnus Norman at the time, but it's just so hard to know, yeah. you know, since, yeah, we don't have any in- other information. But but uh, but certainly, yeah, Tsitsipas started the year number six and finished the year number six. Yeah. So I think <laughs> I think it's... We'll see how it is in in 2021 for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have but, uh, much to add there. I, I agree with you, Vance, that um, Hamburg and Roland Garros really salvaged his season. I think uh, especially Roland Garros, if he doesn't push Djokovic to five there, like really what does his year look like? Not not very yeah. good. But yeah, he, he didn't so, drop in the rankings. Um, and I, I think a new coach yeah. could, particularly one like Norman, who has experienced coaching players who have had great careers on clay, Chitsipas is quite good on that surface. Um, that could really uh, reinvigorate him, maybe. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And sadly, yeah, it's not going to yeah. be Guga because he already said he's not interested in uh, coaching right now. Yeah, that, that, I think Guga. Yeah, that I was really looking forward to that. I thought, I thought actually they would gel really well, Guga and Steph. But I think Guga is so busy with his personal life yeah. and family life. It's it's a tough commitment. You have to travel all year. Yeah. Like it's it's just hard. Yeah, he's really he's really active back home. That's the that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, Guga and Steph, yeah, that that's like a dream, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, 
I, I think you mentioned Shapovalov. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the Canadians, what they do next year. Mm-hmm. Felix Ogialiassim, I'm, uh, you know, it's it's a little harsh because he's only 20, mm-hmm. but I, I was expecting him slightly better things from his year, but seems like uh, seems like that might have to wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's got a lot of time. Um, I did expect him to play a bit better against team, and I remember, yeah, I remember thinking like, what can he really take away from that loss besides like I lost comfortably to a much better player. I remember tweeting that after the match, but the good news is, like you said, he is only twenty. Um, by the time he's team's age, he'll undoubtedly be a much better player than he is right now. So I think, um, I, I think he just needs time to develop his game. Yeah. I think so too. I think he's got the type of personality that he'll really analyze and he'll look at how to get better. And uh, so I, I have high hopes for him in that regard. I just hope some he changes some technical things in his game. Um, I still think the backhand is, you know, actually not so great. I think he can improve that shot a lot more mm-hmm. for Felix. Um, I think the second serve can get bigger. I think, uh, I think sometimes when he plays super aggressive and the forehand is working, he gets his opponent way behind the baseline, but then he doesn't. Then he goes for another really risky shot afterwards instead of just maybe hitting a drop shot or something. But you know, these are just little things. I think they come with they come with experience and time and you know more weeks on the tour. I think he'll get there. I think that pretty much wraps up our ATP Awards show. Hmm. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, tell all your friends and family about the show. Hope you all have a great Christmas Eve and christmas and uh, you know enjoy the enjoy spending time with your family and uh look forward to producing more shows um so yeah uh thank you very much andre thank you owen thank you to everyone thanks happy holidays everyone. happy holidays thank you so much for listening i'll see you guys we'll see you guys next time bye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.